All right, so today we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 17 through verse 19. And the topic of today is very important to the actual message that we'll speak to. The topic is the extraordinary life. So it's important, very important that you get this. The topic, or the topic of the message is the extraordinary life. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, the extraordinary life. So let's read the text and then we'll come back and, and, and go through it. So the word of God reads, Ephesians 4, 17. We are making progress, y'all. We're getting through chapter 4. And the word of God reads, So this I say, this is Paul. So this I say, remember he's picking back up. Well, I'll get to that later. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart 19 and they have and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness with greediness so this is what we're looking at today Ephesians 4 17 um, and we We're going to get through verse 18. I'm going to save 19 for another day. Um, or it would be really long. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to get through 18. So 17 and 18. But it's the extraordinary life. That's the topic of today's message. The extraordinary life. And what I'm going to do, I, I'm saying the extraordinary, but... For the sake of emphasis, I'm going to say the extraordinary. So I'm going to add a long hyphen in there, right? The extraordinary or extraordinary, however you want to say it. Um, the extraordinary life. That's really the title. Long hyphen in there. So let's start with definitions. Uh, extraordinary or extraordinary means, I went to Google and I Googled it up and they gave me the meaning from Oxford languages. The meaning of extraordinary is very, very unusual or remarkable. That's the definition of something that's extraordinary. It's very unusual or remarkable. Now the definition of ordinary is the, pretty much the opposite. Ordinary means with no special or distinctive features, normal, right? That, that's, that's ordinary. And in these next few verses, verse 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul it's basically going to urge the Ephesians to live the extraordinary life and not the ordinary life. And so that's what you're going to see here in verses 17 through 20. Paul's challenge to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, to live the extraordinary life and not the ordinary life. Reason being is because if you think about Jesus, Jesus lived a life that was anything but ordinary, right? Maybe you can point to his life before his baptism of John the Baptist, right, where he was just a carpenter, a carpenter's son um, in the first century. You could probably point to that and say maybe that was ordinary. Um, but after his baptism, there was nothing ordinary about Jesus. Um, when we see Jesus, when people seen Jesus, they did not see an ordinary man, right, which is why they kept trying to figure him out. 
They kept wanting to know, well, who is he, right? Is, is he the prophet? Is, is he Elijah? Who is he? Is, is he the Messiah? Who is this guy? There's something different about him. He, he does not teach like our regular scribes, right? He, but he teaches as one having authority, right? This is what the crowd says when Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, 28. They, they wanted to know. They, they said, this man, he doesn't speak like our regular scribes. He speaks as one having authority. Who is this guy, right? Who is this person? Who is this guy who, who eats and drinks with sinners? And who is this guy who, who touches lepers? Where in the first century, you didn't touch lepers, right? Because especially if you were Jewish, you didn't touch lepers because lepers were considered to be what? Unclean. You didn't touch, you didn't touch them, right? So, so who is this guy who, who touches lepers? And who is this guy who, who dwells among the unclean and, and who is this guy that allows sinful women to to touch and wipe his feet with their hair do you remember the sinful woman and how the people who were with Jesus they were looking at Jesus why because he allowed this sinful woman to come up all up on him and, and, and touch his feet and, and to rub her hair on his feet as she's crying because of how great he is so so who is this guy that talks to Samaritan women at a well? Who is this guy who breaks all of the first century customs and norms? See, Jesus was anything but ordinary. He was not ordinary. And guess what? Do you know what Paul tells the Colossians in Colossians 1.27? He says this. In Colossians 1.27, he said, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery? In fact, hold on. Let me do something. Okay. I'm tripping on my right text. I just had to make sure. So this is what, what Paul says in Colossians 1.27. Here's, here's the, the guess what. He says, God will to make known what is the riches of this glory, or the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? He said, God will to make this known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? And look what he said. This is the mystery, he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul tells the Colossians. He says, the mystery that God will to be made known is this. Christ, the Messiah, in you. So the extraordinary has now entered the ordinary, you and I. And when the extraordinary enters the ordinary, guess what? We should become like what? Like him. Because back to the first century, isn't that what a first century rabbi desired of his Talmuds? Right? Or his Talmudim, his disciples. Remember Hebrew for the disciples, Talmud or Talmudim, we're talking about group. Isn't, isn't that the desire of every rabbi, as we looked at last week, where the desire of every rabbi is that his disciples will look like him, and the desire of every Talmudim or Talmud, the disciple is to look like his teacher or his master. And our rabbi was an extraordinary rabbi, which means this. That our standard of living, how we live our lives is high. The bar has been raised high for us. We can't just live any old ordinary lives, but our lives must be lives that look like Jesus. Isn't that what we learned a few weeks ago? 
Back in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 where it says that we are to grow up in all aspects into the head even Christ. Right? That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that we are to grow up in all aspects into the head even Christ. So that is the goal, believers. That is the goal, church, to be like Christ in every way. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not many people are going to find this path. Not many people are going to find Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Which means that most of the world will not find Jesus, sadly. They will not find the extraordinary life. They will continue to live ordinary. And so what Paul does here in Ephesians 4.17 is to warn the Ephesians against ordinary, just sinful living. And so let's read verse 17 here and see what Paul says. Ephesians 4.17, he says... So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. We're going to stop there. He says that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Now he's using this term Gentile not in the ethnic sense because ethnically the Ephesians were part Gentile, right? The Ephesian church was made up of Jews and was also Gentile. So when Paul is using the term Gentile here in Ephesians 4.17, he's using it in a generic sense to represent people who are far from God. That's how he's using the term Gentile here, not just in an ethnic sense. He's using it to describe people who are far from God. So in other words, Paul is saying, Ephesians, I affirm in the Lord that you should no longer basically walk as people who are not saved. You should not walk as people who have not met and submitted their life to Jesus. You should not walk like people who do not know God. Ordinary folks. He's saying you are no longer to live like them. You are to live above the ordinary. This is extraordinary. Isn't this Paul's point even at the beginning of chapter 4 in the beginning here? Look at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. In the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, look what Paul says. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So this is how Paul starts chapter 4. And then from there he goes on to describe how Christ has given each one of us a gift and how we are all this body and how we all must use our gifts for the growth of the body and the building up in the body. But now back in verse 17, he's picking back up on that original thought that he started in verse, on verse 1 of chapter 4. So he's going right back to where he started. In chapter 1 verse 4, he started with telling them to walk worthy of the calling. Then he went and explained how they've been given these gifts. And now in verse 17, he's picking back up that same thought and he's encouraging these Ephesians to live to a higher standard of living, to live the extraordinary life. And so he says, verse 17, therefore I say to you. See in verse 17 where he says, so this I say to you, that's, that's another way of saying therefore, 
right? So he, he's picking up the same thought that he just had in the previous verses. So Paul is basically saying here in 17, therefore, in light of everything that I just told you in the first three chapters, how you were dead in sin and God come and made you alive through Christ and how he has gifted you and made you a part of his body. He said, I say and affirm with the Lord that you should walk no longer just as the Gentiles do. To no longer live just this ordinary life like people of the world just live. But you, you can't live that way. So he said, therefore, in light of all of this stuff I just told you in these first three chapters, all these things I just told you about being a part of God's body, I'm saying, you don't live this way. You don't live that way. See, it's, there's nothing wrong. I think I may have said this a few weeks ago, but I'll, I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong with wanting to live right as Paul's calling these Ephesians to, to do, there's nothing wrong with wanting to live right for the sake of your kids or your family name. Um, for example, me, something cool that happened to me this weekend. Um, grandma, I'm going to say this. One, my grandmother just gifted me. I know he's not even going to see it, Grandma, so don't worry. Okay, Gifted me my great-grandfather's watch. Um, this watch he received, he worked for this, what is it? Hercules. Hercules, a train company? It's, it's a plant and a train. A, a, yeah, it's like a train company in Mississippi. It's like one of the first blacks to work in this field. He worked there for 31 years. Because back in those days, right, you just worked at one place. And I guess you get like a watch after so long or whatever. And so my grandma gave me this watch. And I'm holding this watch. I've never did this. I started to cry just holding a watch. Because I'm like, this was on my great-grandfather's wrist. Are you serious, right? And so it just, it just put something in me like, man, this is where I come from, right? So that, that, that's family name. And even last night, me and my grandmother, I did the free um, trial on Ancestry.com, right? Where you can just go in and find all your ancestry. And I got all the way down to like my great, great, great grandfather. And when they were born, and I even seen one of their draft cards, right? When they were drafted to the military. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is my lineage. And, and even my, my great, great grandfather on my mom's side, I found him because he's attached to this church, this AME church. And so I'm like, whoa, my family knew the Lord, right? And so this is just so awesome, so amazing knowing where I come from, right? And, and you, you want to live, you know, this, this legacy that's been handed to you. You want to live right because of the name that's attached to you, yes. And even as parents, we, we want to live right for the sake of our kids. We want them to see us. Uh, um, Solomon says this in Proverbs 23.6. I'm sorry, 23.26. He says this. He says, give me your heart, my son or daughter, and let your eyes delight in my ways, right? Don't we as parents, we want our kids to delight in our ways, right? We, we want our kids to, to see us and find delight in what we do. So that is a motivation or for, for living holy and living an extraordinary or, or extraordinary life. Yes, those are motivations, but Christian, Christian, your chief reason for wanting to live a righteous life those are all good reasons, is God. It's the calling upon your life. It's Christ. It's what he did on the cross for you. And guess what? It's also the body that you are a part of, what Paul has told us in the previous verses. Church, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you being a redeemed member of the body of Christ, do you realize that you individually 
and we collectively as a church, we give the world a picture of what the world may have looked like had not fallen man sinned and what the world to come will look like in the new heavens and new earth. Do you know we give the world that picture? I've even heard pastors use this analogy to say that Christians are the movie trailer. They're the trailer to the movie that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. That, that is who we are. That is, that is the body that you are a part of. See, when, when Adam disobeyed God in the garden, think about this. When he disobeyed God in the garden, it brought about a separation between man and God. And man then fell under the power and the control of the kingdom of darkness. But now, through Jesus and the power of God, that relationship that was lost in the garden of Eden, guess what? It has been restored. We have been restored to our position as sons and daughters of God. And guess what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we now live as a new humanity. We are a new humanity. Do you know that, church? See, back in Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 15, the apostle pointed out how we are a new humanity to this world. Let me read you what he said in Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. He says this, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, talking about Jew and Gentile, into one. So now you have two people, Jew and Gentile are now made into one new man, right? That's what he's saying right there. He's made into one. And he says, and he's broken down the barrier of the dividing wall, 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make, here we go, the two Jew and Gentile, guess what? Into what? Into one new man. See, Christians, you are a new humanity. We are together a new humanity. See, we are separate. We give the world a picture of this is how people will look in the new heavens and new earth. We are supposed to be that picture. See, we are the new, man, new humanity who shows the world what meekness looks like because Jesus said, blessed are the meek. We are the new humanity who shows the world what mercy looks like because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. We are the new humanity that shows what justice looks like because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Some translations translate that righteousness. We looked at that when we did that message on justice, how the Septuagint, that verse can be translated hunger and thirst for justice. But again, we are the new humanity. We are the new humanity that are peacemakers. We are the ones with the pure hearts. We are the new humanity that loves our neighbors like ourselves, and not just with an ordinary love, but with an agape love, a self-sacrificing love. See, church, you are a chosen race, church. We are a royal priesthood, church. We are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, says Peter in 1 Peter 2.9. That is who we are. We are the church. And because of this, we should no longer walk as those who don't know God. That is Paul's point in 17. Because of all of this, because of what I just told you, how you're a part of this body, and what Jesus has done, we should not walk like those who don't know God. Notice the word that Paul uses in 17. He says that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles. You should no longer, why does he use this word no longer? Because all of us prior to knowing Jesus, we all lived a life apart from God. Yes. Do you know that? Every one of us, none of you were born with the Holy Spirit. 
None of you were, you weren't like John the Baptist. You weren't like, no, we, we, were, we weren't born like, the, like them. All of us had our time in the flesh. All of us had our time living like these Gentiles, these people who don't know God or who are far from God. We lived like that. Yes, we are better now, but boy, did we live like the Gentiles. Boy, did we live like people of the world. So he says you are to no longer live like the Gentiles. And as you keep going through this text, Paul, next he begins to lay out the characteristics of the ordinary life. He lays out the characteristics of the ordinary life to show us what we should avoid, right? So that's what you're going to see here in verse 17 through 19, where Paul lays out the characteristics of the ordinary life. And he's laying out these characteristics so that Christians can be aware of them to make sure that these are not activities and habits or these are not things that they are doing. And so here are the characteristics that Paul lays out of the ordinary life, the life of the Gentile, those who are far from God, in verses 17 through 19. He says, this is the first one, the ordinary life is a life that is lived in the futility of the mind and not controlled by the spirit. So that's the first marker of the ordinary life that we see here Paul speaking to. In 17b, which says the futility of the mind is how the Gentiles walk. So the first characteristic of the ordinary life is a life that is lived in the futility of a mind that is not controlled by the spirit. You'll get why I say that uh, probably today, but maybe the next time I do it. The next one that he characteristic that he lays out here in verse 17 and 18 is a life that is um, a life that is ignorant are excluded from the things of God and the life of God as a result of a hard heart. And you see that in verse 18 there. So the ordinary life is a life that is ignorant or excluded from the things of God or the life of God as a result of a hard heart. And then we keep going down in this text in verse 19, we, we find that the ordinary life is a apathetic life. Um, we won't get to here today, but you see that in verse 19 when he says that they have become callous. That's apathetic. I'll, we'll get to that when we get there. They have become apathetic when it comes to righteousness and the things of God. And then finally in verse, uh, at the end of verse 19, he says the sensuality. So a life that is an ordinary life is a life ruled by sensuality or the senses. The senses of touch, touch taste, feel, smell, see, hear. Your life ends up being run and ruled by the senses or sensuality. And so that's another marker or characteristics of the ordinary life. And so today we're really going to dig into just uh, really number two. I want to say the, the hard heartedness and how that plays into the ordinary life. Even though the futility of the mind comes first, the hard heartedness connects and actually is the catalyst or causes of futility of the mind. So we'll look today at the hardness of heart. So the first one here, a hardness of heart. That's part of the ordinary life. That's the characteristic of the ordinary life. So when the apostle here is describing a person who is far from God, the Gentile that he mentions in 17, he says that the person, which is the person that you and I used to be, he says the characteristics of these people who are far from God is that this person's heart has become hardened, meaning that their heart is ignorant to the things of God. 
And he said, because of this hardness of heart, it has brought about a darkness in their understanding and it has excluded them from the life of God. That's why he says in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of their hardness of heart. So hardness of heart he's showing here in verse 18 leads to a lack of understanding. It's a darkness in your understanding. But he also says, it also leads to an exclusion to be separated from the life of God. All of that is by a hardness of heart. So a hardness of heart is one of the major characteristics or trait of those who are far from God, are living according to the world, are living the ordinary life. Now the question, church, you should be asking yourself then is, what does a hard heart really look like? Right? Because the Apostle Paul is now urging these Ephesians to no longer live like the Gentiles, right? And one of the traits or characteristics of the Gentiles is that they have a hardness of heart. And so you should be asking yourself then, what does a hardness of heart look like so that I can avoid that in my own life? So I can make sure I'm not going down this same path, right? That's the question that you should begin asking yourself as Paul is bringing up this topic on what the ordinary life looks like. So what does a hard heart look like? What does a hardness of heart look like in a person? Well, let's start with the most famous Gentile with the most infamous hard heart that's known to mankind. Who's known for his hard heart? Anytime we speak of hard heart, we, we speak of this individual. Anybody know who I'm talking about? No. Old Testament, Old Testament. Who's known for his hard heart? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, right? <laughs> Pharaoh's the most infamous Gentile. He's known, right? The Pharaoh is, is known for his hard heart, right? So, so what happened with, the, with, with Pharaoh, right? The, the Lord, through Moses, tells Pharaoh to let my people go, right? Like the song, let my people go, right? So, so he, he's telling that to Pharaoh to let his people go. And what does, the Lord, what, does, what does Pharaoh say? No, basically. No, I'm not letting them go. And so then what does the Lord do? The Lord sends plagues to Pharaoh to display his power so that Pharaoh could see who he is dealing with. As the young people say, the Lord is flexing, right? He, he, he's showing his power. He's doing that. And so, and so as opposed to, to falling on his face, right? As opposed to just falling on his face and acquiescing to the Lord's request due to the power and the glory that he's now seeing through the Lord sending these plagues, what does the scripture say that Pharaoh does? He doesn't fall on his knees and say, God, you are worthy. He doesn't fall on his knees and say, whoa, this power that is before me. He doesn't do that. The scripture says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. The scripture also says that the Lord hardens his heart. And remember when we, a few years ago, well, I can say that now, um, we, we, I taught on the Hebraic mind and how, remember, in the Eastern world, which our Bible has its origins, they have block logic. And so in the Eastern world, you can have both and. So Pharaoh can do it and the Lord can do it. They don't have no issue with it. That's us on this Western Americanized world where we need everything to be either or and linear. But that's not how our scriptures, they don't come out of that culture. So in the Old Testament, the scripture says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardens his heart. You just leave it at that, like in the Eastern culture. So Pharaoh hardens his heart. He, he doesn't fall on his face. And what does scripture say? Why is he doing that? He's not seeing the glory of the Lord. See, the, the fact that he's not seeing the glory of the Lord and he's refusing to submit to God is, 
It's him hardening it. That is the act of hardening your heart. It's, it's in the face of facts. It's in the face of evidence. And you're still saying, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to bow down to the Lord. I'm not going to acknowledge his glory. That is the definition of a hardness of heart. That's what it means to harden your heart. It's when you refuse to submit to God and acknowledge his glory in the face of evidence, in the face of facts. That's how Pharaoh's hardening his heart. Now, this is very similar to Romans 1. Right? Where the apostle describes people who refuse to acknowledge and honor God in the face of facts. Right? But in Romans 1, the, the facts that Paul is alluding to is uh, nature or creation. And so what Paul is, 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 is saying for those people who refuse to acknowledge God to say, I don't believe in God and where's the evidence? Paul says in Romans 1 that the evidence is creation. The evidence is all around you, as Pastor Brian was saying. And not only in Romans chapter 1, Paul does not only say that creation is the evidence, but he also says that God has made himself known within you. And so with this general revelation, Paul is saying that this general revelation of creation, this general revelation of God making himself known to you, is enough to condemn you for hell for failing to acknowledge and honor God. So it's, it's the same thing we see that's happening to Pharaoh. But as opposed to Paul using a hardness of heart in Romans 1, in Romans 1, Paul uses suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So by people failing to acknowledge God in the face of facts, evidence, creation itself, the world itself, and what God has revealed to them, the scripture says that they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Now, while he does not use hardness of heart like he does in Ephesians 4.18, the end results are similar to what we find in Ephesians 4.18. Why? Because those Gentiles are people who are living the ordinary life who have hardened hearts, meaning that they refuse to acknowledge or believe the truth about God in the face of facts. Their hard hearts have led them to being insensitive to God. Their hard hearts have led them to being dull to God, and they're not perceptive of God. And because they're not perceptive of God, and their hearts have been hard to God, the scripture says, Paul says in, in verse 18 of Ephesians, that they have been darkening their understanding, meaning that they no longer get spiritual wisdom and understanding from God, and that they are separated from the life of God. And that is the same results that we find in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. Those people who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness have now been given over to their flesh. They are now walking in the futility of their mind. And the scripture says that they have been darkened in their understanding. They have no understanding. So think about this, church. When you don't have God in your life, this is the point I want you to really see. When you don't have God in your life, when you are excluded from the life of God and you have no understanding of spiritual deep things of God, then guess what? You are forced by default to live by your natural human mind. And guess what Paul is showing us in verse 17 with a futile mind? He's showing us that a mind that lives outside of God, a mind that is dark in understanding, is a futile mind. See, this word futile in verse 17 means worthless. It means pointless. It means not in accordance with truth. So Paul is showing us that a life that is darkened in understanding, a life or a mind that has been separated from the life of God, a mind with no God in it is a futile mind. He said it is a pointless mind. It is a worthless mind. And that is the mind that he says is of the Gentiles. That is the mind of the ordinary person Paul is showing us here. And guess what? You and I, you and I, 
We all started our life this way. We all started our life this way as Gentiles walking according to the flesh. Gentiles with no relationship with God. Gentiles being controlled by our futile mind. We all started with a darkened understanding. No understanding of God. Separated from the life of God. That is how we came into this world. We started this way in verse 17 as these Gentile folks. How do I know this? I know this because... Paul says in Ephesians 2.12 to these Ephesians, he tells them that prior to them being saved, when they were just Gentiles in the flesh, he tells them in Ephesians 2.12 that they had no hope and were without God. He tells them that's how you started. That's how we know that this is how we all started. We all started with futile minds. We all started separated from the life of God. We all came to this world with no deep knowledge, spiritual knowledge of deep things or of God. That is how we started. That is our origin. And so we see Paul telling these Ephesians the same thing. That's who you were before you met Jesus. You had no hope in the world. You were separated from God. You didn't even know about this true and living God. You are without God. Another reason how I know this is how we started and entered the world is this. In Ephesians 18, when the scripture says here, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance in, in them, in the Greek language, those words are written in the perfect tense and in the, pathic, in the passive voice. We're going to get a little bit nerdy here. You got to get this because this is very important. The phrase in verse 18 where it says that they are being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God. It is written in the Greek. It is written in the perfect tense and in the passive voice. So again, bear with me here. When a word is written in the perfect tense, guess what? It is describing an event that occurred in the past and is continually affecting the present. That's what a word means when it's written in the perfect tense. And when a word is written in the, in the passive voice, it means that something, this is key, something outside of the subject is causing the action or bringing about the event. We as Christians know this event as the fall of man. When sin entered into the world and affected the entire human race. When we fell into the hands of the kingdom of darkness. And Satan came in and blinded the hearts and the minds of people so that they would not see God. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 to 4. That we've been blinded. That event that happened outside of us, Satan has blinded the minds. That event that happened that is still affecting the present was the fall of man that is still affecting even right now. So you know what this means then, Christian? This means that if you know God right now, if you are worshiping God right now, if you have a relationship with God right now, if you are walking with God right now, it is only because God has broken through your stony heart and shined the light of Jesus into your darkened understanding. Where now you can see Jesus and the glory of God in him. That's what that means. Because outside of him, we came into this world with a stony heart. We didn't even know God. The scripture says we were darkened in our understanding, but God came through by the power of the Holy Spirit and broke through your stony heart to where now you see Jesus and you fall in love. Now when you hear the word of Jesus, you begin to raise your hands up. Even when you're out in the streets, you hear Jesus, you are putting your hands up because now you're just worshiping the name of the Lord who has saved you. Why? Because God has broke through that stony heart. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. See, outside of God breaking through our stony hearts, guess what? We would be just living the ordinary life like everybody else. But God broke through. 
Christ broke through. That's why you're different. That's why, outside of that, you would be just like everyone else, just living the ordinary life according to your futile mind, just doing whatever our mind says to do. But no, God has came through and he brought his light into your darkened understanding. He shined the light of Christ into your mind where now you see the world differently. We don't live for ordinary, brothers and sisters. So there's, if there's anything that you get from the word today, it is that you need, you must walk worthy of the calling with which you have called. You must live like Jesus and not like those who don't know, do not know God. We don't live like them. So today's message, church, is a call for you to examine your heart. To ask yourself, does my life look like everybody else's? Am I just living the ordinary life? Ask yourself those questions. Ask yourself, am I hardening my heart towards God? You must really ask yourself that. Is my heart getting dull and insensitive to God and his ways? Church, you must really ask yourself this. I did, and I've seen some things in me. I've seen some, some stuff in me that I need to get rid of. I've seen the dullness of my heart to some of the things of God. It's easy to harden our hearts to God. It's really easy. You know why? Sin. Sin is the thing that hardens our heart towards God. See, if, you, if you're wondering right now, if you're saying, man, brother, I just, I don't feel close to God like, I, like it used to be. I just don't feel close to the Lord like I used to be. I, I'm not getting the revelations like I used to. I'm not getting the understanding. You must really ask yourself, Am I, have I hardened my heart towards the things of God to where I'm not getting the revelation and understanding? What is bringing about this heart of hardness? The thing is sin. And it's not me saying that. It's the scriptures. Look at Hebrews 3.13. I'll read it to you. In Hebrews 3.13, the scripture says this. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. And then he says this. Here's the kicker. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has an ability to attach to our heart. And it just attached to our heart. It builds like a cast around our heart. And if that cast is built around your heart, then you're not getting the revelation in the light of God. That's why you're feeling separated from God. It means that there needs to be some repentance going on in our lives if that's the case. I'm not saying that it's everybody, but sin hardens your heart. It's like glue that just gets on there and it just, it be, or clay, and it just begins to harden and you get more and it just begins to harden. And next thing you know, there's this cast around your heart. And you're like, man, I'm not getting this anymore. I feel far from God. You must ask yourself, am I hardening my heart through my sinful actions? See, sin will harden your heart. And as it hardens your heart, you will find yourself walking in the flesh, as Paul says here. You find yourself leaning to your own understanding, leaning to your own futile mind, a mind that is outside of God. That's what happens. So we got to examine our hearts, church. We don't want to live the ordinary life. We want to live the extraordinary life like Jesus. Um, we're going to stop there. I'm not going to go to the callous part, verse 19. Um, I'll do that the next time I'm up here. But I hope that this is encouraging you, one, to like, man, I'm part of this church, this new humanity. I have this heavenly calling upon me. 
I want to walk worthy of that, of God because of that. But then, also, I need to examine my heart to see what's, what's going on in here. Am I hardening my heart to the things of God? Do I find myself bored by the things of God or dull to the things of God? got to ask yourself these these are legitimate questions so I'm challenging you and myself like Paul is challenging these uh, Ephesians who are saved already but he's telling them still no longer walk that way I will leave it there and um, pray Heavenly Father you are good you're mighty thank you Lord for breaking through these stony hard hearts giving us a heart of flesh, allowing us to see who you are through Christ, saving our soul, giving us power to overcome sin, giving us power to now live for you in holiness. God, we get to be your body. God, thank you. Lord, work in each person in here individually, God, to examine our, our own hearts, Lord. See, are we hardening our hearts towards you, God, and through the deceitfulness of sin? If so, Lord God, expose that in us. Help us to see where we fall short, what we need to change and correct. We don't want to live ordinary life as people who don't know you, but we want to live a life like Jesus. That's our prayer, God. Hear us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.